Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome back to East Meets West here on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast and feed. This is your semi-regular show talking about all the big goings on in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now that we've had a few weeks to digest what was happening with the Forbidden Door, we've stepped back on the other side of the Forbidden Door over on the Japanese side and we're just still reeling from everything going on. But we don't have time to recover now because we've got the G1 to talk about. We have the full lineup, who's in what block. And so we know who's going to be fighting who. And so this is that, that annual period where we talk about a G1 and say, oh, I can't wait for so-and-so to fight that person, as we like to do with these tournaments. And uh, to join me in doing this as the only person I want to do this with, because he's the only person available, it's Grant McGrobbie. <laughs> you know, well, I, I'm sorry I, I missed the Billy Gunn appreciation hour that was central with your brother, but we are here <laughs> to discuss even bigger things. Than the than the ass boys. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, come on. Do you know like to see it with him? But we all know who the real man who single-handedly sold out the United Center was, and it was 1999 King of the Ring winner Billy Gunn. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Gunn for New Japan World Heavyweight Champion. I mean, I remember the the G1 like special they did back in 2017 when they created the first year champion, and then he just pops up fighting Tanahashi for the IC belt. I thought. It was weird even then, but now he's becoming an even more regular picture on a major US program in fucking 2022, teaming with his with his sons. Or no, now he's seemingly turned on his own sons. See, that's what happens when you get cursed by Danhausen. Very <laughs> nice, very evil. Well, Billy Gunn's already been cursed. I mean, he's pushed in 99 was cursed by the fact that Rock is a far better promo than he is, but that's a discussion for another time. But before we got to Forbidden Door, we had, you know, the road to get there for certain New Japan stars. Like, we had Tanahashi had already qualified to, to face John Watts for the, for, the AW, for the interim AEW heavyweight title. But New Japan, if it didn't ha- already have enough tournaments, we got caught into a wee mini tournament, which was a sub-tournament of a tournament already going on in AEW, where they were doing the qualifiers for the All-Atlantic Championship four-way. Uh, so we had... Honma taking on Clark Connors and Kanemaru taking on Ishii on the 20th of June in Corrigan Hall. And then the two winners were on the following night to face each other. So you would go in a four-way. Ishii would defeat Clark Connors in the finals. Unfortunately, would suffer an injury. And so Connors had to go on to the four-way. But now I'm hearing more about it. It seems like the, it was in the match with Kanemaru that he, he suffered the injury in the first place. So Fair play Ishii, because I've watched the Clark Connors match, you know, they get very physical as Ishii's prone to do. But, you know, props to him for going through that match just 24 hours later when seemingly suffering this injury. We don't know how serious the injury is. I think he's still uh, listed for the G1 climax, so clearly not that serious. But 
it did unfortunately mean he had to miss for a bit door. Yeah, it was a big shame that that he, that he missed out, and I'm pretty sure we called Ishii to be the guy that would have been the like the fourth person in that four way. And you know, I'm still gutted we never got it, but fair play to Carter Connors, he done good. Yeah, I think it was that old wrestler thing where like I'm sure Ishii probably thought he would still good to go, and in the aftermath of the Connors match, they probably realised that this is a lot more serious than uh, he had. If he had more space between matches, then maybe he could have went on ahead. But, you know, I'm surprised when you actually watch the Kanemaru match that you can tell that they even realise that he's, he's hurt, like, Kanemaru's working the legs, he's not to do, but then you notice their points where, like, no, that's not selling, he's really, he's really hurt. So I'm surprised they didn't call an odd one, have Kanemaru go through to fight Connors and have one of them go on a Forbidden Door because, you know, there were, well, there were some close near falls that made you think Kanemaru may actually beat Ishii. That's it, like, it was very, because, like, Kanemaru is very underrated. Um, as a mm-hmm. singles guy and you know he did almost get the upset and if he'd got the upset I would not have been mad because I like Kanemaru he, he gets a lot of stick because he's he, he's like the lesser popular one and he's like someone's dad cutting the boot <laughs> with a bottle of whiskey going get back here you shit <laughs> <laughs> I am the heel master you'll address me by my proper title you little shit <laughs> <laughs> but- so the, it was close to fair points, but it seemed like in both matches that she had, like it was a case of he was working through the injury, which made him seem like more like a baby face, and he was lucky enough to find an opportunity to hit his vertical drop brain buster, which basically spells the end for anyone who gets caught with that brain buster. But, you know, at least his match with Kanemaru, mainly thanks to the injury, was more a lot more competitive. When you look at Clark Connors' match, you thought, you know, holding my respect to a legend, and everything, former like tag team champion, and everything, but like. You knew that was Connor's match to win. Aye, that's it. It's he's he's done an absolute banger. And you know, I mean, Connor's. I just used to always take the piss and say, when you want Hangman Adam Page, but your mum says we have <laughs> Hangman Adam Page at home. <laughs> I like uh, that he's really finding his own like gimmick. You know, the whole big game hunter thing, uh, uh, the wild rhino stuff that you. The wild rhino gimmick that he's got now. Someone had had one of his t-shirts in the crowd at Corrigan Hall, where it said "Big Horn Energy." But you know, sometimes the the guy fucks up with the focus with in the cameras. So I just saw a big horn and then a Y. So I thought, is that that's a weird choice t-shirt for uh, for Clark Connors to be wearing? <laughs> Get a bit X-rated over there in Japan. That's, I think sometimes they just forget like how how much of a different meaning a lot of these things have for us over here. <laughs> uh, so Connors goes through Honman and has the match Ishii. I think we we're all like everybody seemed to be like, oh, it's so obvious that you know Ishii's gonna go through, but unfortunately it wasn't that as clear as we thought. You know, much like every other match, other than maybe the women's title match on the on the main card of Forbidden Door, it was seemingly cursed in one way or another, where something had to be changed for whatever reason and so Connors being the runner-up got put into the match and you know it was a good showcase for him being in that four-way because you know it does feel like out of everybody in the of the LA dojo he's the one that's really coming out and standing out from the back it used to be Carl Fredericks who was the main standout I think at one point but Clark Connors in my opinion has very much overtaken him yeah definitely like Clark Connors has kind of embraced this larger than life personality and is kind of standing out, whereas I feel Fredericks is kind of physically he's an absolute specimen, but he's 
just kind of his his, his gimmick is just very generic but there's still he's still very mm-hmm. early there's still lots of time for him to learn and I think the other standout for me is always going to be Alex Coughlin because that dodgy tash but he can still deadlift like anyone <laughs> doesn't matter how big they are I remember the like Carl Freddy's had this whole alpha wolf nickname and then Connor's referring to himself as a rhino is that what's going to happen every time a LA Dojo graduate gets a gimmick it's going to be named after some sort of animal and they're going to form a stable the LA Dojo Beastmasters Obviously, a different meaning in the UK, but still. <laughs> I mean, Brit, Brit wrestling could probably learn from Beastmasters, to be honest. <laughs> just, they all, just the LA Jojo comes in, they all shout the name of a different animal before they hit their finishing move. <laughs> it's like a shit version of the Power Rangers. Pretty much, yeah. I don't want to go full on with the Power Rangers comparison, but you know. <laughs> anyway, that, make, that makes you better their Zordon then. Oh my god! <laughs> Someone, what's the matter? What did your, you do? <laughs> if you got time on your hands, anybody out there, you know, you know, if you've got, if you're good at Photoshop. Shabata is or done. Do as I, do as you will. Peter's pictures like Lord Shabata. What should we do? Do a thousand squats <laughs> and kick fuck at them. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, Connors goes through the four-way. We'll talk about Forbidden Door because, obviously, we're always going to talk about it here. I know it's also been covered over on East Star Central, but, you know, there's a big New Japan influence on the show, so we have to talk about it. I'll briefly mention the buy-in as well, uh, which had a, a lot of New Japan people on it. And a pain in the ass for me because they kept adding matches to the buy-in, which was annoying for me as a guy running the suite to the point where they announced the the, uh, the Lance Archer match as the... The show was starting. I'm like, fuck it, I'm done. No, it's not being added. Everybody knows what way this match is going. I'm not adding another fucking match. I'm pretty sure, like the day of the pay per view, I changed like the the suite to include to add or take people out of, of matches three fucking times <laughs> in the one day. And I'm like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Like, despite having you, to do all these, despite having to do all these changes, you had to go with your heart instead of your head, and you fucking let us down in the sweep. <laughs> <laughs> I let and you you did you got more points than me. Why am I, I the one that fucked up? Because I came third. You came like what second last or what? You should have done better. You were the chosen one. I came maybe fifth or sixth. I scored higher than some other people. If you really want to be disappointed in someone, be disappointed in Chris Anthony Lopez, who was one point away from tying up, from tying the sweep with eventual winner Stephen Wilson. Uh, but the one point that he lost out on was because he went with the factory to beat Goto and Yoshihashi like a fucking moron. Don't, I don't want to remember that. Step, but I, I, like the factory is actually the reason that Stephen fucking won, didn't he? Stephen Wilson is the QT Marshal of ESSR. We all know it. I don't we know. I can, know I can stand QT Marshal at least. <laughs> anyway, he. So yeah, he goes with fucking the factory for God knows what reason. But because yeah, they both got like a lot of the bo- same bonus points as Chris and Steven, and that's the one thing that's ever in the opening match of the buy-in cost Steven cost bloody Chris the whole thing. But yeah, so Bishamon beats Beauty Marshall and Aaron Solo. Lance Archer defeats Nick Camarado. You know, Lance Archer looking to prove himself to the New Japan fans who haven't seen him a while before the G1. And he does that by nearly fucking 
faking himself yet again on his fucking entrance. <laughs> you had Kanemaru in Death Barrel getting beaten by the team that are called Swerve and Our Glory, when really it should be called Strict Lee Business. You know, it's money on the table. <laughs> I can't take care of that. I heard it from someone else. And then you had what was meant to be the Ass Boys, Billy Gunn and Max Caster taking on four members of the LA Dojo. Then Danhausen plays an Ass Boys custom entrance video, which causes the Ass Boys to run back to to look for him. So then, despite being four on two, Billy Gunn and Max Caster wipe the floor with the LA Dojo, held by the fact that, you know, Billy Gunn towers over all four of these guys. You know, they would have talking about it, they would have had to get in each other's shoulders from sort of sort of LA Dojo Megazord to take down someone that's jacked as jacked as Billy Gunn. So we know Shabbat was backstage, I'm sure he would have been there looking at them like you had a four on two and you still couldn't get it done. It's like but then again maybe it goes but it was against nineteen ninety nine King of the Ring winner, Billy Gunn. <laughs> you guys still couldn't beat Bob. His name was Billy. It doesn't matter what his name was. <laughs> uh, so, do you have any thoughts on the on the buy-in, particularly for for Pavindo? The buy-in was really it was it was harmless fun. Like, um, yeah. and I, I still think it had one of the coolest spots of the night when you had Desperado stuck at the under the bottom rope, and Bloody Strickland mm-hmm. just goes right over the top and double stomps him. I was like, that's fucking awesome. Oh yeah. The the tie match with Lee and Swerve versus Kanemaru and Desperado was easily the best match of the four. You know, Kanemaru and Desperado still got a fair bit of offense in over the larger point, especially on Keith Lee, uh, with, De- with Kanemaru taking out the legs. And Kevin Kelly and commentary did a good job of saying, oh, well, Kanemaru has offense on the leg. That's the reason that Ishii had to pull out. So basically putting him over is a threat, no matter how big, much bigger his opponent is. Uh, you know, only of the buy and one thing I just want to highlight QT Marshall, stop trying to do flips. You can't do flips. That whole handspring into the flip on the outside of the ring, you were two inches away from hitting your head off the apron. Just stop doing it. You're, you're a man with a gut approaching 40 if you're not already 40. Accept it. I think he's older than 40 now. <laughs> there you go. You're in your 40s. Accept it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the buy in was, was good, harmless fun. Like, uh, you know. Yoshihashi on television. Don't know the ruined or the commentary. I should say Kevin Kelly, Excalibur, and Taz did most of the show. Just the three of them. They were joined by people like Tony Schiavone, Caprice Goldman, and then eventually JR for the last couple of matches. I when JR knew people and on the New Japan side in the last couple because he he's time on Access TV, but. I like the fact that it was just these three for most of the show because you have Taz who has an who knows his stuff about certain moves and is usually quite entertaining. You've got Excalibur who will always be the guy out of the main AW team to cry and fill you in on the people you might not know from like the NDC in Japan. And you've got Kevin McKelly, you know, the new Japan representative, like helping fill in some context as well. So it made for a really strong pairing and even when Toy Shawari was involved, he added a lot to it. Yeah, that's I was ha- I was absolutely buzzing with the the mix and the commentary. It just, it, I mean, all of them like Taz in particular. I really feel he's came on leaps and bounds in the last couple of years on commentary. I I love when he's on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. He was much more serious, Taz. You know, because he like he and Excel were clearly take the piss because they know they can get away with it when they do AEW Dark. But here, you know, Taz was you no know, on his on his best. Uh, Taz was at his best here. Uh, 
the full card, I'll just read out the full card so you can mention any matches you want to talk about specifically. We had also Jericho Appreciation Society, Hemet, Jericho and Sammy Guevara teaming with Minoru Suzuki to defeat Shota Mino, Eddie Kingston and Wheeler Yuta. You had the All-Atlantic 4-way that we talked about with Pac defeating Connors, Malachi and Miro. You had FTR winning the IWGP tag team titles and retaining the Ring of Honor belts over Great Okan and Jeff Cobb and Rapongi Vice. You had Sting, uh, you had Sting, Darby and Shingo defeating the Bucks and ELP. What was it? Maybe a eight-man tag turned into a, a six-man tag. You had also the women's tail match with Rosalinda Rosa retaining over uh, Tony Storm. You had Bill Osprey retaining the US title over Orange Cassidy, while Just Robinson still has the physical belt up in the crowd. The four way <laughs> for the IWGP World Heavyweight title, uh, Jay White retaining over Adam Cole, Okada, and Hangman Page. And of course, you had the, oh, I almost forgot, Cloud, Big Claudio, Big Dick Tony, revealed to be the surprise opponent to beat up Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, uh, as also as an, as the newest member of the Blackpool Combat Club. And, of course, the main event, the interim EW World Championship match, John Moxley defeating Tanahashi in a very long and bloody affair. Uh, and then you yeah, had the Jericho PG Society trying to do a brawl at the end because, you know, basically like, oh, my great show, but remember, we've got blood and guts. We, need, we must promote blood and guts. I mean, that's it, the main card. Like, it, it was, I don't think it was a card that anyone really properly envisioned if you talked a couple of months ago. But my God, it was an entertaining show. And I mean, I, I have to put out the biggest shout out to the biggest hero of the whole night, even in loss. He, he, he still looked amazing. Our Lord and Saviour, all hail, the great Okan, <laughs> who had to go back all home hail. to Japan and be consoled in a way that only man, any man could ever dream of by porn stars. <laughs> of course, of course, that's how he rolls. You know, some of his singles matches. To me, it don't always excite me. But I don't think I've came around on a, a wrestler just because of their character and their sheer bants more than the great Okan. You through the history of this show, you know, I was like, oh, I wasn't impressed when I first seen. I thought, oh god, he's slow. I don't like the Mongolian shop, the whole entrance. Then just through the last couple of months, I'm like, I fucking love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's out, outside the ring has been absolutely incredible. It's just like I'm like. Oh, he looks like he's having a good time in Vegas. Oh, look at that. He's meeting the strippers. Oh, he's sad that he lost the tag belts. Oh, he's getting consoled by a porn star. Ah, this man is my hero. <laughs> you'd be watching the match and you'd think, oh, this is the next season. Then you'd, be, then you'd want to go out for a drink with him afterwards and think, you'd be like, this guy's a fucking legend. Like, this is the guy. He looks, it seems like the guy, if you're having a, a party and he's, he rocks up, you know, like, okay, the evening's going to get much better from here on out. It's like, it's like you just see it, it's like never mind the great O'Can. Should be called the Great O'Shaga. <laughs> <laughs> and he will forever be known as that from now on. But yeah, I can't remember the last time I came around on a wrestler like so like drastically for than I have the Great O'Can over the last few months. <laughs> I mean he, him and Cobb, absolute dynamite team. FTR winning those those IWGB tag team championships. I'm 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 sad for the United Empire in that way, but at the same time, FTR deserve this. They are generation defining tag team now. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean I think I was always a supporter then when the whole FTR thing started, like the fuck the revival stuff when they were still in NXT. I still thought like 
they were getting the short end of it just for no reason. And well, I think everybody's seen just how good they can. Well, all the chains are all they can probably be the best tag team in the world. They've got belts from Triple A, uh, Ring of Honor, and New Japan, and now they're setting their sights on potentially becoming the the AEW tag champs because you know they've been the number one contender for weeks. I think they said that officially now their time being number one contenders of the tag titles is longer than their AEW tag title reign. I, like, they've really like, they've really ran with that and, and really made like poked good fun at it. It's like every time when our team's getting a shot at the tag belts and they're like Hello? Hello? No? Dex? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering why like these guys have also got AAA belts. Why are they not being defended? And then also all that stuff came out about you because know, New Japan worked with CMLL, you know, that meant that Andrade couldn't be on the show, the Lucha Brothers couldn't be on the show, which really, once that came out pre-Malakai versus uh, Penta qualify match for the Old Atlantic match, you know, the biggest sign of, like, you know who's winning this match. So that's probably the reason why the AAA belts weren't included in here. But uh, according to reports here, yeah, there was a plan Gato put across about the Young Bucks coming out and it being like it maybe Empire versus Bucks, like IWGP, VEW, and the Bucks winning the belts. But apparently, then the idea was put for FTR be involved, and apparently the Bucks were all for FTR getting this like vigil of all the titles. I mean, I like the fact that FTR pretty much became tag team Ultimo Dragons with all the belts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a thing during like that very long media scrum of uh, them coming in, like trying to figure out how to. Uh, figure out how to place all their belts, you know. I know it's not got like a manager anymore, but they need to hire somebody, you know, their own little assistant just to carry the belts for them. Like even Ultimo Dragon <laughs> had Sonny Ono who had to carry some of his belts for him. That's it. Sometimes you just got to you need you need that little bit of assistance and you know come on, show some respect <laughs> to FDR. <laughs> they need a wee lackey to carry those belts. You know the I, I, this is an example of me going with my heart over my head. I went for the United Empire because I think sometimes when it's like when a Japanese promotion is involved and it's a thing between their belt and another company's belt, usually there's some politics and usually the New Japan side, the Japan side usually ends up getting the win, like Jeff Cobb and that being involved. So I, I really thought Empire was going to win the Ring of Honor belts because then that would mean that, you know, these guys could go back to Japan with the RH belts and then they could go between New Japan and you know they announced that Ring of Honor is doing another show later on this month, uh, Death Before Dishonor. So, you know, I thought that would be interesting for the New Japan guys to have the belts, but alas, it was not to be. I'm not angry at FTR1 because they had like six stars on the back of their trunks like, to talk about all the different titles they won. And then they said, well, now we've got to get new trunks and you be seven star FTR. <laughs> I know. It's absolutely incredible when you look at like, what they've done over the last several years, like FTR is the true definition of like a classic style tag team, like your old Rock and Roll Express style, and showing that you know you don't need anything flashy, you just need solid psychology and a great work 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 rate, and that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And they're becoming a lot more over, you know. They're always great as heels, but really they're becoming a, a quality babyface team. Uh, Partly also through like interviews, a lot of people are hearing about like the stuff they've went through, and I think which a lot of people can relate to, and then also just being just been, by being class brothers. Like the next day, we had blood and guts. You had Dan Housen and a six-man tag with two mystery partners against uh, the Ass Boys and Max Caster. Just well, I, I found a couple of guys. They're quite good at wrestling, I suppose. And then FTR's music hits, 
and they get like the loudest pop. <laughs> that was absolutely beautiful when that happened. That was just like, yep, that's what happens when you keep beating up the wee goth- the goth and emo kids too much. They get the big brothers involved. Ft Dan Houser, make it a thing. Oh God, yes. I, I, that, that that match was definitely a big one for me, and the other one, I think, Offspring, Orange Cassidy. Oh yeah, yeah. The the Cassidy thing, like I know it was maybe Andrade v Osprey, and apparently Andrade said like he was getting set to fly to Japan to film an angle. So I'm assuming maybe that would have been like after Dominion when Osprey beat Sanadi would come out. So, but then that's the came in. I know like it's weird that people forget like how. Orange Cassidy's been there with Jericho, Omega, Pac, like so. Why this wouldn't be as great as it was? Uh, it baffles me why people were so down on this. I think out of all the matches that people were like weird about, like on paper, it is the one that blew most people away. And I'm already hearing people calling this like a, a match of the year, like contender. Oh yeah, it was totally unreal. The counter game was absolutely mm-hmm. outstanding and it just shows the evolution of like both guys like just putting in some of their best work yet mm-hmm. like an osprey can play a decade so that which really counteracts with how popular uh orange cassidy like putting his hand in cassidy's pockets and then just flipping off the crowd like ripping off cassidy's pockets which really pissed them off and like the fact that you knew he wasn't going to win because you no know, osprey they're not going to change the title too many times without the guy being able to hold the physical fucking belt. Although I probably <laughs> would be good for Orange Cassidy because like he's too he'd be too easy to carry the belt anyway, with given his gimmick. But it's just the fact that any time Cassidy got a close enough near fall, it drew you into the match to think he could actually he could actually do it. Uh, and then also you've got like the post match thing with Shibata and like it's been that it's been a while. I for, briefly forgot the music. Uh, what Shabbat's music was like, so I heard the music like, who is that? And then I seen Shabbat, and I was like, I probably guess like, it's Shabbat, he's here, and he comes up, chases off the ba- the baddies, and then you know, some people would dislike this, but I just thought it made him look cool when uh, when Orange Cassidy just picks up his shades and gives them to Shabbat. I that was absolutely outstanding. I was like, yep, this post match angle has been absolutely outstanding. You know, like it was just. Cassidy's had possibly his best match in AEW to date against Osprey and getting Shabbat out there I was like oh Shabbat's still alive <laughs> so they've not punished him too bad after that last time where he just made that a match when yeah. he wasn't meant to <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm surprised that nobody even wanted to try and say that it was him that was going to be ZSG's opponent because that would have been class you know I mean I know uh, he wanted a a proper match, but it would have been nice to see more than just the exhibition that we, we got from him and ZFJ at the uh, the G1. Let them go a proper match. Not that I'm disappointed with who we got, who everyone seemed to get, except for me, who I, I had to be different. I had to go for Timothy Thatcher like a right twat. But anyway, yeah, the newest member of the Blackpool Combat Club is uh, Claudio Castagnoli, who immediately proceeds to uppercut the living fuck out of a... That you literally... Ding, ding, ding. Run across the ring, uppercut Zach's soul out of his fucking body. Uh, and Zach was already kicking off, making excuses like, no, no, no. They didn't prove anything. I'm still the best technical wrestler. That was not a technical wrestling match. That's not what I signed up for. And then he retreats his whole thing, you know, trying to explain technical wrestling to a US audience. It's like reading Shakespeare to a dog. <laughs> oh, it was brilliant. I, th- I still think one of the coolest bits was just Big Claudio 
Packing up ZSG, one arm over his shoulder in the suplex position, walking up the steps and just being like, "Ah, fuck it, I'm dumping you in the ring." Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Ross like mentioned that before, like when Thurio left WWE, there was the whole thing Eddie yeah, Kingston with their Wheelie Fifteen, like he didn't have the balls to come to AEW, and then he, he shows up at the door. Eddie Kingston tweets out, "Well, look who grew a set of balls," which then led to an interesting dynamic for Blood and Guts because. Kate Kingston didn't seem like he wanted anything to do with Castagnoli, but also now they have to be on the same team against the Jericho Appreciation Society. I think saying they didn't want anything to do with him is an understatement when, yeah, if you actually look back, Kingston spat at him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> actually spat him. I was like, oh my God, he really doesn't like him. It really makes a lot more sense when you see Claudio because obviously given Regal's involvement as well, you know, the two evergreens, I think, Regal's final ever match was against Claudio in NXT back in 2013. And so they got that relationship. Uh, I don't know if you heard what Tony Khan said about uh, on the media screen where he said that he'd already been talking to Claudio about bringing him in. He said, if I didn't bring him in tonight, he probably would have like shown up at the next Ring of Honor show. And then it was Brian who said, like, if you consider maybe getting Claudio in, when they, when they realised that he wasn't going to be fit enough, it was Brian who suggested Claudio. And then Tony said, well, I'm going to him. I was already speaking to him. So I thought, well, this is this seems like great timing, like, and you come for this match, and then so yeah, his two for his first two matches in AEW, one against the FTA uh, to get a big pop uh, on a big like co branded show, and then literally less than a week later, he's in a very violent blood and guts match. Oh God, yeah, I, the big Claudio is like came in like a, a true like baptism by fire, but he's done exactly what I hoped he would. He looks the fucking part. Honest to God, he's a fucking unit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this just adds to the Blackpool Combat Club. You know, you got Willow, you're still coming on leaps and bounds with every match he has. You've got Moxley now, the interim champion. Danielson, well, when he's cleared, he'll be back to as vicious as he normally is. And then you've got Claudio. So this is just a, a proper group of like killers like here. And these guys could win fucking everything. I, I definitely foresee he more gold in Claudio's future because he's been eight, it's been too long since he had singles gold. I see him as a guy to maybe take the All Atlantic belt or uh, in a perfect world with the relationship with Ring of Honor and the fact that Tony said he was going to bring him in for that anyway. I, I could see him being the guy to take the ROH world title from Gresham. I, I could see him either take, I could definitely see him taking the, the world title. If not, the other thing that I think would be absolutely dynamite would be. Cesaro and Danielson, eh, sorry, Claudio and Danielson as tag team champions. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful you don't say Cesaro, especially not to Tony Kandre in the media scrum or he'll get on your case. I just want someone to hold me the same way that Tony, Tony Khan held Claudio. I, don't know if you I can't remember who tweeted it out. It may have been Botchimania or something like that, but it was a compilation of him hugging everybody who comes up to the media scrum to ask their questions, dubbed over with that clip from uh, the audio from Wayne's World. I love you, man. Uh, I love you, Terry. No, I mean it, man. I love you. Yeah, thanks, Terry. No, just, just say you love <laughs> Thanks, Tony. <laughs> oh. I do have to disagree with what Buddy, what David Tony was saying about, you know, David said he had an issue with, like, Cesaro not getting pushed, which I know a lot of fans said, but then he said, like, well, you know, it's always, in WWE, it's always about the shiny new toys. Like, well, how can you say that right now when technically Claudio is the shiny new toy? 
That's it. I think a lot, a lot of people are talking about like what's going to be next for Claudio and that, and they don't think that he's going to be that big a deal. It's like, have you seen the fan reaction? <laughs> yeah, but I think the issue is obviously it's been something that's been talked about for ages. The whole the idea of AEW's roster being like as big as it is, and not ever like the probably reason they're bringing in so many new belts is because they realise like like we need more men's singles belts because not all these guys can be a world champion. And also, I think one thing a lot of people want is to see Cesaro as a, or Claudio as a world champion. I mean, talk about Shane New Toys, it wasn't that long ago that Keith Lee and Swerve were the Shane New things. And, you know, this car was after that, those two had to be on the back end. Uh, that's it. It's, it is definitely where we're going to see that. But, you know, it, if, if anything, though, I love the idea that now that Claudio is a bit more free, let's get him back over for, for some New Japan matches. Yes, or maybe come over to the UK, come to Air Pro, please. I'll make the trip down to wherever in England. I don't care how much the trains cost. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of Air Pro, uh, obviously Pac came out on top of the the AEW four-way for the All-Atlantic title. And, you know, I, I was convinced it was going to be Miro. A lot of people in the sweep really thought it was going to be Malachi Black. But Pac came out, you know, we all knew it wasn't going to be Connors, but he got a fair... Like display, and I thought he was just going to get battered by a river, but no, he got to put Miro through a table at one point. Miro was put like he was fucking Brock Lesnar with everyone trying to take him out, which made me feel a bit more confident that he was going to win. You know, I, I do feel slightly, you know, annoyed that I didn't get to see him slap and meet with uh, with Tom Huey's G, but Pack, you know, long overdue because he had that time where he couldn't come over because of the bloody pandemic and all that shit. It's been a very stop start for him, but he's finally got a championship in AEW. You know, being from the UK and the, given the, the gimmick of the bell, it really makes sense for him. And now he's coming back to the UK to Rev Pro on the 16th of July to defend against Big Shooter. Oh, yeah. I mean, with the way the way I looked at it, like with the All-Atlantic match, I still love the fact that Miro has came back at that time off and he's made it clear that there are still only three things that he cares about in life. Getting a belt, his, his God, and shagging his wife. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think a Miro like pack thing for the belt could be very good because I don't want them to continue the Malachi pack thing because the old Death Triangle House of Black stuff has gone on for far too long. So just just move on, do something else. Uh, let pack fight people like Miro and other guys like that. Let them go to Japan and go to other countries to defend the belt because you know this is a rare like AEW title being defended overseas. Like first time an AEW belt been defended in the UK. So you know. Let this be like what David Boy Smith was like when he was European champion. Yeah, that's it. Like this is, you've nailed it right in the head there. Like Death Triangle and the House of Black. Let's face it, every time they tangle up, you're guaranteed to get a five star matchup. It's gold. But let's take a break from it. Let's give us something mm-hmm. different. Um, I definitely think Black and the House of Black need some gold at some point. They're just too good an act, not to in my opinion. They're just too fucking awesome. But Pack, yeah, well overdue. Um, if they're going to wait for the door, gives us any go with. If there's other potential matches, give me Pack and Shingo. Oh, oh, that's good. That's good. Shingo, who didn't even bring his VKPW trophy over with him? Probably, probably told it's like no, no, we're not showing that off. They will make fun <laughs> of us. You know, I don't know how they got Orange Cassidy doing his thing. I'm sure people love him, so I don't know why. But anyway. Uh, well, about the show, I mentioned uh, Andrade wasn't going to... I should mention, by the way, Andrade, when he's, earlier on when he said it wasn't coming over, uh, 
there was an angle with Roosh on Rampage on the the Rampage right before this, where they did the thing where he just kicked Roosh came down, kicked Phoenix in the bollocks. They unveiled like the name and then we got Lost uh, Faction and Grobanabli, and so. I'm wondering if that angle is meant to be done like either in the lead up to Forbidden Door or at Forbidden Door with the idea of like if Andrade did fight Osprey, with the idea of, like this new faction versus Empire, like a couple of tag matches in the lead up to Forbidden Door. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's how I can think of it. That's just oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feel bad for Andrade not getting to be on the show, but you know, I'm interested to see like what he does with this stuff because to be fair, the whole Andrade family office stuff and what he was doing before, couldn't give a fuck about it. As I, I've not given a fuck about most of what Andrade's done in AEW, to be fair, outside of like that coffin match with, with Darby. I mean, I'm still raging that I've not seen Andrade interact with um, LIJ. That's my main bugbear. Yeah, but maybe it's a case of maybe he can't work in as much in Japan or New Japan because of the AAA stuff, like the thing that kept off the bend door, but you know, maybe this new faction they can the two can count me blows, but talking about you know Shingo in and uh, Lij, you see Naito's post about basically not even being asked to be at the show. I know, I was absolutely outraged that that's like wait you didn't even ask Naito. Fuck you, Tony. Yeah, you know, there's a there was a spot you could have easily slid him into. You had, you were meant to have Bullet Club and Young Bucks v two members of Lij and Sting and Darby or the dudes with attitude, but. Like, oh, Hiromu's been taken out, he's under the weather, so we're going to have a, turn it into a six-man, Hikaleo's going to be in the corner. Like, did you not have just slid Naito into that spot? Even Bushi. Bring Bushi over. I know, like, that, that's it. Like, could have could have easily done it. Easily could have done it. But no. No. <laughs> just leave sad Naito at home. I think the only reason they're too afraid to bring him over is in case his biscuit knees fucking gave in again before the G1. <laughs> Probably, probably the same reason Sonata was on the show. Like, you can't have your face caving in again before the G1. But, you know, it was, that was still a good match. The fact that Kevin Kelly renamed them, like, Lost Dingo Burnouts or something like that. Uh, the, this trio and, like, the usual shithouse from ELP. But Sting was having none of it. No selling a titty twister, which makes them harder than most. I love that. Like, ELP sharing it's like legends just doing legend shit. And I was like, Ooh, oh, I still get, I still wince every time I see the Titty Twister happening. Just no right. <laughs> it definitely isn't right. It defines logic here. Having Jay White also retaining in the four ways, we all knew he would. Uh, a lot of people speculating that the match finished earlier, and that's why the Moxley match went on as long as it did, because of Anna Cole's like, injury. And you could tell it was very awkward when. Uh, Cole was definitely that remaker was nowhere near Cole because of his injury, but Cole but Cole still got pinned by Jay White, <laughs> uh, so clearly not some sort of audible was called or they didn't realise how badly he was he was hurt because also the fat plan was always for Cole to get pinned by Jay White to sow the dissension between Bullet Club and the undisputed elite. But I always, I think the Dan Hashi match would have always went that long because you know it's the main event of a show go around by AEW and New Japan to like their long main events and. Tanahashi is no stranger to a main event going like the 20-25 minute mark. Uh, that's it. They had so much like going on and it, it's a shame that Adam Cole got such a dull one. You know, I hope mm-hmm. he recovers for that. Not too bad. I mean, that, that four-way, like, 
it's not very often. In fact, I can't even remember the last time that I, like the top belt in Japan was in a four way. I remember like a, I cut a few triple threats over the years, but an actual four way. When did that last mm. happen? No, we were talking about why the fact they wouldn't even consider a, a, a three way match with the whole Osprey situation. Why they insisted on doing it over the bloody the two nights, but. I think it's also the the fact they're working with AEW is why they had to do it, and you know I think I do think for some of these matches, good as it all ended up coming out, I'm sure like Forbidden Door two when everybody's less injured will probably be a lot better. Probably not, you know, okay, that part of the present. I know Japan even said before the years out they may consider doing another core branded show, but this time in Japan, they said it would make sense to do it this year because obviously they're in the midst of their fiftieth year. I, I would love it if they were to do another one before the end of the year in Japan. But even if they were to turn and say, look, we're not going to do it every single week. Like, we're not going to do it twice a year. But if they've done it once a year and just alternated between the countries, I think it would be a fucking fantastic thing. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And again, like I said, a lot of people were injured. Like, uh, Adam Cole was already working with an injury, which he clearly seems to have exacerbated during the match, uh, which led to that awkward finish. So obviously, hopefully he's not been too much damage, you know. The Adam Cole thing is like when you're playing GM mode, so-and-so's got low stamina, like, okay, I'll, just, I'll put him in one more match, he'll play, he won't get injured at a match. So-and-so is now injured, he'll be out for three weeks. <laughs> and I mean, you could see, like, because, like, like, I mean, for example, no Red Dragon, and the Red Dragon's got a massive history mm. with New Japan as well. So... It does make for some notable emissions, but at the same time, it then makes you go, well, they could pull this off with, like, half the roster injured. What can they do when they've got a full roster? Oh, yeah, I mean, you forget, even with some of the weird, like, looks on paper and, like, the fact that some people had to be, seem to be thrown into certain slots, you know, there's still two of the, like, of the best rosters in the world, so everybody would shoot through sheer talent, pulled it off. I mean, it's like if you're somebody with more knowledge of both Japanese companies would feel about the, the programmatic Noah show. I'm sure there are people who love that more than we did because obviously not knowing who a lot of the Noah guys are. But I'll say it's because with that familiarity that seemed a lot better in my eyes. And yeah, a lot of people injured. Samoa Joe, I brought this up right the night before. Like it suddenly occurred to me like that big list of injured people. Like Samoa Joe's not on that list. Like this is a man who got the like, tag of being injured when he's last few years in WWE, but in a rare case where he's not injured, you didn't put him on the card. I know. I I still don't quite get the reason behind that. To be honest, like I'm like, because I would have quite happily said that Small Joe would have been a great match for Osprey. Mm. Or ZSJ put him in the Dungeon spot. Or I remember watching the Six Man Tag and it was in it. Part of me thought like I can't help thinking how much better it would be if he took Wheeler Yuta out of the. The three-way match, maybe put somebody else in, like uh, like Ortiz or Santana, and then put Wheeler Utah in that match with ZSJ, you know, fighting on Danielson's behalf. You know, put ZSJ and Wheeler Utah in like a pure rules match. Yeah, I think I think they definitely missed a couple of ste- a couple of chances there, but not going to knock them for it. They still gave us a yeah. great show that was better than what we expected. Yeah, yeah, it's also a few minor nitpicks, and they'll say. It's hopefully the first of what they've clearly been saying is going to be that number of shows, so hopefully a lot more to come. A brief mention of the fact that Bishamon clearly, despite clearly by beating the most dominant team in the whole company, being the factory, and despite FTR being the number contender for so many weeks, Bishamon then suddenly got a tight title shot on Rampage, uh, which they lost to the Young Bucks, but go back and look at the fucking uh, 
the closing sequence because it's still two rings because they taped it the same night as Blood and Guts. You got buddy Nick Jackson bouncing between rings to take out Goto before bouncing back over the ropes to then hit the melts the driver on Yoshihashi. Like it's a the hell of a sequence. Yep, definitely. It's, it was absolutely incredible what we've got with this. <laughs> yeah. And a little bit of AEW news, obviously the match will have my fork by the time you hear this, but I know you talk about House of Black getting gold. We've got an opportunity at gold this Wednesday with uh, Brody King, surprisingly, getting that opportunity to fight Moxley for the AEW title after, after nearly choking the life out of poor Darby Allen. I mean, you say poor Darby Allen, that was funny as fuck. <laughs> The way, he just, the way he just choked him out and then just went, ah, fuck, I'm going to drop you. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, King, Brody King won the Rampage Rumble that they had across the two rings. Basically a more competent version of WCW's World War III. Uh, so he'll be fighting Moxley on Dynamite this week. But going back over, uh, before we go back over to Japan, talk about uh, New Japan Strong, which you don't get to cover a lot, but Finally, the New Japan Strong belt has uh, changed hands at Masumi because the guy who was holding the belt was going about to disappear for a month to Japan, so maybe he wanted to get it off him. Uh, Fred Rosser is now the champion, uh, so you know, good for him. They seem to have been teasing it for a while. Let's see what's going to happen with, with him as a babyface champion over on Strong. And they've also announced uh, the tournament and the eight particip- 18 participants to challenge for the new Strong tag team belts, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, like the these like strong tag belts and the brackets. I'm excited. I'm actually going to try and make time to watch these matches because I think it's going going to be absolutely banging to watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the first couple of matches are going to happen this Saturday. So I think uh, the recent ignition taping is where most of the tournaments been taped. Like the quarters and the semis were taped there, and they've got a taping at the 24th of July called High Alert, which is where the finals are going to take place. So, you know, no no messing about with this. I mean, I'm sure, given it's the tape and the news, will probably leak out before before we get there. But it'll be very interesting. The teams involved in the brackets are The Factory, Nick Camarado and Aaron Solo taking on Uemura and Christopher Daniels. We've got uh, The Dark Order, represented by Evil Adon, Alan Angels, taking on Ozzy Open. And I'm actually, I was talking to about it. Could have been a, easily been the final. Uh, the Mighty Don't Kneel. Uh, Mikey Nicholas and Shane Haste getting back together, take on uh, Minnesota Rift, uh, take on Royce Isaacs and Jorah Nelson, and you've got the Street Dog crew taking on a team whose name I forgot to write there. Midnight Heat. There you go, that one. Shows how how I've been watching them strong recently, I I apologise everyone, but yeah, the one that immediately stood out to me was Aussie Open versus uh, Dark Order, which Really could have been the finals. I said, you, I know you're a big behind uh, Aussie Open potentially getting the win. I could see them getting through to, to maybe fight the team of you and Murray and Daniels, like the odd couple team to get to the finals, only to suddenly fall to the dastardly Aussie Open. <laughs> and that's looking at the teams like the Dark Order team took me by surprise. I was like, wait a minute, where's Johnny Hungy? <laughs> It's especially surprising given that they've recently announced that uh, Alan Angel's now on a pair appearance basis with AEW and he's basically said, like, well, I'm still in my early 20s. I signed on during the pandemic because I had nowhere else to go. I've had great experience in AEW, but basically like, he's not under an official contract. He's wanting to wrestle in other companies to see his options and gain more experience. Apparently he showed up at the recent Impact team instead of a match with Mike Bailey. So 
I look forward to seeing that match when it comes out. But you know, good for Alan Angels. Yeah, I think that's like some people were making like a thing about how like he's apparently came to the end of contract. When you know, there's no big fanfare made about it. But there's nothing wrong with that. At the end of the day. He's made it. Like, it's very clear. Like there, there's a lot of respect between peers and that. And you know, AEW isn't like making any bad press out of it either. It's like go do your thing. You want to come back? Prove you're ready for a, a spot. Yeah, I mean, at least Tony Khan's not going on radio and saying that. Oh, I let his contract expire because he wasn't a good wrestler, like he did to bloody Big Soul. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, that's it. He's. He, I think. I think Tony's learned his lesson for that one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you know, I think even if there's no big fan for it, it makes for if nobody, not enough, a lot of people know realize that you're you've gone. At least for, it means a big reaction for like when you show up because I'm sure like that taping happened like a week or so ago where he showed him an impact. I'm sure those people in Atlanta where the team was held didn't expect to see him there, so I'm sure he got a great reaction there. Yeah, that's it's, it's something I'm looking forward to. And look at this, I mean, as say for me, I'm calling it open weight tag team championship. Give it to Aussie Open; they deserve it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Empire getting a lot of gold. I mean, they recently lost the heavyweight tag belts, but we're going to have some other gold they got recently. You know, Osprey's still fighting to get that bloody physical IWGP US belt. Uh, just, so, you know, I've been saying for a long time the Empire need as much gold as possible. He really cement them as, you know, a top faction, given that they're the newest group around. When you look at the other factions in New Japan, I don't know if you've seen, I think they're teasing something with them in FTR because, like, They've got a fair few belts, and they've got like four belts from different companies, including like Rare Pro and that. They took a they shared a photo of them with all their belts, uh, like quote retweeting something that Dax Harwood said about because like Dax Harwood put a photo of them posing with their titles, and then when the Aussie Open quote retweeted with them holding all their belts, said our photo was better. <laughs> Ours looks better. Get that rid of you. Yeah, then have them when they've got five belts. FTR when the AEW belts say well. There you go, nine tag team titles all on the line. Aussie <laughs> Open VTR, winner take all. You know, I have to hire about 20 referees to hold up all the belts. Do one of those things where you just get like, like, like have like football games when they get like the kids out in the top in the tops now at the start of the match or what to like stand with the team lineup and instead it's like the kids are holding the belts. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but so I look forward to seeing what happens with that. I mean, hopefully. We'll get a chance to talk about this tournament, but you know it's happening at the same time as the G1, so I wouldn't hold too much of my breath. But talking about the Empire back at New Japan, we were the same night, uh, the first couple of qualifiers for the Atlantic title. We were main evented by United Empire of Francisco Akira and TGV challenging the Ass Masters for the tag team titles. And sadly, Grant, the reign of six and nine is over. Uh, United Empire took the belts. And Francesco here has apparently become the youngest champion in New Japan history at just 22 years old. Just leave the memories alone. Not, I'm not ready to deal with this. This, this was, this was not meant to happen. But yeah, like it's like is also like not just the youngest, but also the the first ever Italian IWGP mm-hmm. champion. Um, you know, the only thing that lets it down for me is TJP. But yeah, Akira. <laughs> Akira, we did say Akira looked like he was going to be destined for something special, and I think it's a really good a good thing for. And I think Japan do that quite well sometimes, where they bring someone new and instead of throwing them straight into getting like a singles title, put them on tag belts, give them a bit of time with that, get the crowd warmed up to them, see what the crowd reaction is, and then then decide 
is it time to put like a singles belt on them? Because also on top of that, Ishimori's reign is still quite early, and I don't want Ishimori needs a, a good reign because they've dicked him about too many times. Yeah, I definitely agree. We talked about that quite a few times on this show, but uh, this one felt like the title. It was their time, you know. It was that they had a strong reign so far as uh, six nine champions. But I thought if you really want to help get Kyoto over to future star of the junior division, he had to win these these belts along with TJP. I like the Ken Kelly put another spin on like the, the fact that Akira lost to lost to Taguchi during the G1, which I remember being surprised about at the time. But he mentioned, given the fact TJP also beat Watto, it was the idea of the two youngest members on either team losing to the two respective veterans. So that was really cool. The idea of like both these teams are made up of guys who are experienced in New Japan, kind of taking other guys under their wing. But you know, it was back and forth. It looked like the Math Masters were finally going to come back and you know sneak out. Uh, a retention, but they were taken down uh, at the last second. Their cool finisher, the, the leaning tower, the electric chair into the, the cutter, which I think is a really cool finishing move, secured the win. And I like that Hanari came out afterwards, like there was no interference in this match, despite the fact Empire are heels. Yeah, that's uh, like the, like, the, like that, I'm getting my tongue tied here. That finisher is a thing of absolute beauty. And that is one thing that I feel that not enough tag teams do in this day and age is a solid tag team finisher. Really makes your team look better. Also, the fact it's called the Leaning Tower as well. Like, it's that kind of joke about a country. Like, well, the guy who's from there said it's okay, so we can make the joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he said it's all right, therefore we're doing it. Uh, and then also the next night, you talk about Taiji Shimori and a 36 and a half minute match, like, like me and event in Corrigan Hall between him and between him and Hiromu Takahashi, they both went to war with each other. Uh, Takahashi hit a time bomb, kicked out. Okay, oh, he's going to go for time or two and a half, but like each more kept fighting out of it. So then Takahashi goes to do it from the top rope, uh, and Ishimori to get out of it, hits some sort of netbreaker from the top, quickly follows up with Bloody Cross, and Ishimori gets the win over Hiromu. Uh, obviously, I know we were talking about, oh, we wanted somebody new. When her only won the the best super juniors, so were you surprised with? You know, I think it's the first time he's won the super juniors and then not went on to win the title. Yeah, that's. I was like, oh, sorry, no, no, I'm telling tell, tell a lie. No, fifty fifty. Lots of desperado. I'm talking bollocks. <laughs> there you go. It's not that odd. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like at least that time we was on WrestleMania, we can see I was in a feud with at the time. But this one, given that he was even on Dominion, was like, oh well, this feels like other. Oh, they're fucking around Ishimori again, but like, oh no, Ishimori actually got his own back. That's it. It was, he deserved it because Ishimori mm. has worked so hard for that division over the last few years and he looked a star. Uh huh. Yeah, because I think it seemed very unexpected when he, when he came out of nowhere to beat Desperado for the, the tail right before the Super Juniors. He got a better showing in the, the Super Juniors they did last time he was champion. And I remember when he beat, uh, when he beat Hiromu for his last title like, at Summer Struggle, or at Summer Struggle, and he's that very vicious, like, attack on the shoulder, and that was kind of the high point of his reign because he wasn't really treated as much of a threat after that. But now he's been seeing, he's getting paid by, like, I am a fucking threat right now. And it seemed like he was going to tease a new match with uh, Desperado. But then who should come out? A man who, unfortunately, his non compete wouldn't allow him to be in the Super Juniors, but. It's Kushida. Kushida is that, and even though they're not allowed to make noise quite yet, there was still a loud gasp in Corrigan Hall that night. 
I love that. It's like he's back home. He's where he belongs. Where he'll get treated right. Let's fucking do it. Uh, I think like one of his last proper matches was at Risk in 13, where he lost to Taiji Ishimori, and what felt like at the time like a passing of the torch thing. So of course he's the first guy to he's confront. And uh, as much as I'm happy to see him back, part of me was like, well, I know you want the junior title back there, Kushida, but technically. Uh, and I know Desperado wants it, but technically Kanemaru just beat the champion in like two and a half minutes back at the Super Juniors. So I think Kanemaru's next in line, back of the line, Kishida. <laughs> you will not come in here and screw over Kanemaru. You will not disrespect the heel master. You will address him by his proper title, you little bollocks. <laughs> uh, no. So... You see this back, he said he's he pretty much about to end his career in New Japan, so he's pretty much back for the long haul. I can see him getting a ring once again with the junior title, but do you see him staying in the junior division, or do you think at some point, uh, upon his return, he'll decide to move, move up to the heavyweights? I think he's going to join the House of Torture. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't even think that was worthy of comment, that... <laughs> No, I'm getting that, but I, I actually I do think that um, I think he's eventually going to go to the heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. It, it feel I think like he's going to like probably have one last decent run in the junior in the junior division, and then by the time we're ready for the G1 next year, I can see it being a case of switching over. I'd like to see him maybe join the the G1 like as a junior heavyweight when those very like times that that's happened. Like, because we got Junior in the, this year's tournament with El Fantasmo. But, you know, it's cause, I think it's because, you know, they had they had uh, him have a match in a six-man tag against Tanahashi, uh, with Tanahashi on the other side of it, right before he left. That was his last ever match, and he said that he specifically wanted that for his, like, for his final match because he said, you know, this is a match I wouldn't get otherwise. You know, I rarely get a chance to wrestle heavyweights like Tanahashi. Uh, so I wanted this match before I left. Also, he, he, he probably wasn't expecting to come back as soon as he as he did. But so I'm imagining that he'll get a couple of years as a junior heavyweight again, help build up some other guys, get a ring as junior heavyweight champion, and maybe not go straight to heavyweight. And maybe we'll see him fighting as a junior of like the never open weight belt. It's kind of that goal between Kelly like Osprey used to. Yeah, that's that, that's. I think like it's. I think like Osprey is one of the best examples of someone making the transition because mm-hmm. he did come up, but they also highlight the fact that when you go up, just because you're ready for going up, doesn't mean you're going to instantly win everything. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a there's a struggle involved, and that, that's for things like for Kushida, maybe another option is to go down the open weight route. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be very interesting. I see him kind of with that belt because we've seen him be like junior heavyweight champion, but also like win the Ring of Honor TV belt at the same time. So we know he can go with heavyweight, but it's the case that he's not always had the opportunity to go against heavyweights. So, you know, you're hoping for big things for Kushida. I should mention, uh, by the time this comes out, another match will happen, but we're recording this before, before it's happened. Uh, there's a six man title match. Uh, tomorrow night with Darius the Torture defending against Goto, Yoshashi and Yo and also on that same show Dick Togo hopes to be non-factor because he's fighting Yano in a dog cage match you know, this is even to do with the bloody KOPW, it's just a, a dog cage match because Yano says it is uh, so 
some interesting stuff happening on uh, the New Japan Road uh, before we get to the G1. Uh, that's it. There's, there's, there's definitely going to be some interesting things, but I honestly, Dick Togo and Yano in a, in a dog cage match, sold. <laughs> I've just been keeping an eye on what's else been happening on like New Japan Road recently. I've seen the uh, big Satoshi uh, Kojima showed up. Uh, they have a match against uh, Takemichi Noku. Uh, Kojima now the GHC heavyweight champion, one of only a couple of people to hold all three belts. Uh, I like the Great Meta is also one of those as well, so I'm going to put on him. And also, Tiger Mask showed up to get involved in some matches on the recent New Japan Road uh, Tour. And also, uh, Tiger Mask is apparently now the new All Japan Junior Heavyweight Champion. So, all of the old teams be like, there's nothing for me to do right now. I'll just go to another company and win a belt. I know, I love that. It's like, are you are you in your fifties? Are you approaching your twilight years? Needing something new to do? We're not gonna send you to the old folks home. We'll send you to another promotion to win a belt. <laughs> Picture an old folks home full of the Japanese wrestling legends. You walk in, uh the biggest thing what do you have is not them tends to shape themselves and no taking the medicine. It's them battering the fuck out of each other. <laughs> <laughs> Some poor bastards getting fucking knocked at their zimmer or what and then fucking suplexed. There's an old folks on me, Ross, to be activities coordinator and try getting Kojima and buddy Suzuki to do, to play bingo with us. <laughs> uh, also, uh, has been teaming up with Tanashi, I mentioned before, in like multi-man matches against the uh, likes of Ishimori and Kenta. I think there was also a six-man tag recently with the uh, Gedo, Kenta and Ishimori taking out Alex Zane, Tanahashi and Kushida, which I'm going to have to check out because that sounds like a hell of a match. Oh yeah, giving us a good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that's all from that from that part of it. The last thing you do is to now finally we get to talk about it in more detail. We have the G1 climax, four blocks to seven twenty-eight competitors in total. We have the full blocks, so now we know who's going to be fighting who on what night. I'm just going to read you out the four blocks, and you can just give me your uh, your thoughts on uh, who's in what uh, grouping. So. Block A, we have the group that Kevin Kelly called on for Bindor, the big boy block. Uh, we have Okada, Toriano, Tom Waller, Jeff Cobb, Jonah, Bad Luck Valley, and Lance Archer. B block, we have current IWGP heavyweight champion Jay White, Tom Hirishi, Sanada, Tamatonga, Great Okan, all hail, Chase Owens, and Tai Chi. D block has Tanahashi, Goto, Naito, ZSJ, Hanari, Kenta, and Evil. Uh, I just love doing it because they're on cats. Uh, and D block as Will Osprey, Yoshihashi, Shingo Takagi, David Finley, Juice Robinson, El Fantasmo, and Yujiro Takahashi. I really wish Taka- Yujiro's name wasn't the last one on the list, but it just so happens it is. <laughs> I mean, look at the blocks. A block is the, uh, oh, you bastard, someone drugs are going to get fucking caved in because of the sheer heavyweights that are involved. Mm-hmm. Like, I can just picture like someone like on the first night is going to get splashed by someone like Jonah or Fally, and then that, that person's ribs are a target for the rest of the whole damn show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I just want to see like some of these big boys in the block having to go out against the shenanigans of a Toriano, like UFC fighter, former UFC fighter Tom Waller taking on, being just baffled by Toriano shenanigans. Like that's something I want to see, and like. You got that entry, the, the slap and meat block and A block. B block's going to be interesting just by virtue of the heavyweight champion being involved in it. So he's like, 
anybody who pins him is either a contender for the tournament or a, tur- a contender to get a title shot between now and Wrestle Kingdom. B-, B block, I think, is to me looking to be one of the most interesting blocks for actual matches like Jay White against any, pretty much any one of these apart from fucking Chase ones. But you know, <laughs> like, like getting like Jay White again, like Tamatonga. Mm. Tama is going to be looking to prove himself after losing the open weight belt so quickly, and he's got bad blood with Jay White as well. So I think that's going to be fantastic. Ishii, Big Tam. Big Tam is definitely going to make life hard for Jay. Oh, yeah. Sanada's sure, got beef him. <laughs> I'm sure his whole, like both he and Sanada, their whole story is going to be the fact that they've recently had injuries. So oh, that's going to be a big story. You want to talk about bad blood? He block with the inevitable meeting of the inevitable explosion of Finjus coming up at some point. That's something I want to see. Uh, he likes the Shingo. And Osprey taking on people like ELP, getting the ELP mixed up with heavyweights. You know, we saw a little bit of what a Shingo ELP match could look like back at Forbidden Door. Aye, Shingo and ELP, I'm putting money on that. That's going to be one of the matches of the tournament, without a doubt. Um, I also think just getting like, well, we're going to get Shingo and Osprey again every time these two meet. Magic happens. But yeah, you're right, Finjus, the, the implosion. But who will be the one that can be declared rock hard after it? Because just Robinson going with that name, of course you're calling yourself rock hard. You're <laughs> bloody married to Tony Storm. <laughs> I know. Uh, you want to see Finn, Finley coming like David? You know, we're, we're it's just business. We're pals. You know, you wouldn't hit me. I just had appendicitis. And he just looks up, punches him right in the stomach. Like fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> we used to be friends, didn't we? Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> uh, I like. Uh, I don't. It's hard to really pick her up. Like, see, like which by which block by default is potentially the weaker block. It's, it's every block's got some solid talent. I mean, they've also got guys who will obviously take the pin in each one. Like between like Yujiro and Yoshihashi and D Block is the guy who will like take most of the falls. Chase Owens obviously in B Block to take falls. Then you got people in C and A Block where like. You maybe think Canardi and Fally would be people who'd take most of the falls, but like they're not like like easy wins like the other two. Like Hanari and Fally, people are like yeah, they'll probably lose most of the matches, but they'll make you fucking work for it. Aye, I reckon. Have, have they actually confirmed again who like who like what what blocks face which blocks for the semi-finals? I think. Uh, from what I can best tell is that it's like A and B block against each other, like the two winners, and then it's uh, C and D and C and D fight each other on the second to last night, and then the very final night is going to be is going to be the uh, the two winners of those two matches, basically. So, yeah, so we're going to <laughs> so we're getting Okada and Jay White again then. <laughs> more, more than likely, I mean, it's Okada versus somebody. I think D Block's definitely going to come down to the match and never determines that one is going to be another single offspray belter. You can definitely tell that. Uh, Jay White, I think he's. I think it's going to be somebody like a Sanada or Tomohiro Rishi that inevitably goes through like a big win over Jay White to get to Okada in the A Block. I'm I'm going to call it just because I want to see this match again. I want to see Naito and Shingo. So I want Shingo and Naito to win C and D block, but if not, ZSJ. I would love ZSJ to win the G one. 
I I would really like it if say like Shingo wins Dbot, but I'd actually like to see if it's C and Dbot, uh, Shingo versus Kenta kind of match or something like that. Also, I think we don't we don't think we've seen enough of Tanahashi versus Shingo other than that one time where Tanahashi went, "Oh, Ibushi, can he be there? I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> I'll I'll be in the main event." So another one of their matches to be to be that kind of uh, to take uh, that to see go to the final. And it's really not even dedicated days. It's like a case of like, okay, we've got four G1 matches per day, like no other matches, like just G1 matches. So we got one match from the A block, one match from the B block, one match from the C block, one match from D block, rinse repeat for the next like month or so. Like day one on the 16th of July, A, bl- a block match, because Okada versus Jeff Cobb, B block match, J White, Sonata, C block match, Anare, Tanahashi, B block match, Osprey L- ELP. <laughs> <laughs> Osprey ELP honest to god it's going to be unreal I'm trying to remember the last time they fought I think was it the was it Super J Cup a few years ago they fought each other fucking beautiful oh, yeah, yeah, they actually wrestled uh, the New Japan Cup recently did they not oh yeah so they did yeah I keep forgetting I, I just I just always go back to the um, the El Fantasmo and Will Osprey match from Super J Cup because El Fantasmo was a bit too stupid on his promo that night and got in big trouble for what he called Osprey because <laughs> right. uh, he, he, he called him the autistic assassin I was like oh you did not fucking say that Jesus Christ I was uh, like oh my god the, the second night of the G1 also I'm not going to go third night but I'm just like when I get you an idea of like the fact that it's like one block match a night so this, look at this uh, second night of the G1 A block match Yano versus Jonah uh, B block match Ishii versus Taichi C block match Kenta versus ZSJ and the D-Bot match, Juice Robinson v. Shingo. Oh, yeah. There's only one gonna kill him. There's only one thing this match that's rock hard, and it's Shingo's clotheslines. Oh, yeah. Pumping Bubba! <laughs> Motherfucker! <laughs> Without going through also every night of the, of like the tour, like, do I quickly name some more matches that you're, uh, you're looking forward to seeing? So, just off, like, just going off at, um, I'm honestly looking forward to Sanada and Taichi. Mm. That, that to me, Sanada's wrestling has got so crisp and clean lately. And even like when he came back from injury, he looked amazing. And like going to A block, Jonah and Lance Archer, come on. Come on. Big meaty men slapping meat. Although just I like, any any match, I will, I, will, I actually want to see Yano beat Okada because I would lose my fucking mind. Oh jeez, I mean he beat but a uh, Kenny Omega the year Kenny Omega won the G one back in twenty sixteen, so I wouldn't put it past them eh, to have that happen. Like can you see also Okada and Jeff Cobb mix up again after you know the feud that they had in like the B block final of the last G one. Uh, also can you see Jeff Cobb mixed up with the other big guys like Lance Archer and your Jonas. You know, again, it's a slap and meat block. I want to see Jay White reacting to the uh, the unusual antics of the big shagger great old car. And just want to see what Jay White reacts to that. I mean, oh, God. Lot... Could you make? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got like people with a lot of history and like the C block, Tanashi, Goto, Naito, and Ari. I want to see what happens when Kenta and Evil, you know, face up against you. Because it's like, oh, everyone's on Bullet Club's on the same page. I always see Kenny be like, I'm no de- still no dealing with your piss evil. Like, fuck you. Uh, and then you got bloody D-Block, your 
basically I want to see anybody batter Yujiro. That would be nice. Uh, and then I want to see what happened. I want to see a David Finlay Osprey rematch because I remember they were telling that underdog story with uh, David Finlay in the, in the New Japan Cup a few years ago, and then it sadly came to an end when Osprey beat him. Ah, that was actually that's that's quite a good one to go for, and yeah. So like you mentioned Jay White and Okan, and I just want to draw attention to something else which makes me laugh is that we're pointing out how big a shagger Okan is in real life, whereas Jay White, one of his most recent Instagram posts, he put up that he was sitting at his cabin bird watching. And I was like, <laughs> this seems like the most opposite of a shagger you can get. So, <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't say that to, to Jay White's face. He's fucking slapped the the taste out of your Oh god, yeah, yeah. Like that's I would never say it to his face. I love the man too much, but it's just <laughs> funny. Under <laughs> said, uh, I'm hoping she doesn't, you know, do too much more fellow damage to his leg. Also, we don't know how serious that leg injury is, but you know, part of me hopes that even more I love Sonata as well. I even got Tamatonga in there for never open weight champion. I she is my favourite to to walk out of the block as the as the inevitable winner of B block because you know. Every every G one, every New Japan Cup for the last three or four years, I've said to myself, This is Ishii's year and it never is. Okay. This year. This year will be it. Unlike Ross, whenever we hit, used to have a fucking mystery opponent and he'd say, Oh, it's James Storm. It's James Storm. One of these days it'll be James Storm. Even at Slam Versa where it seemed like it would be James Storm. And James Storm showed up on that show, but in a different part of the night. <laughs> oh, because we, we just never know anymore. You know, the biggest, like, let's face it, no one brought Billy Gunn over because everyone fears Billy Gunn and the Asp Boys. Absolutely. And like, it's going to be a hell of a month to go through. Hopefully the uh, this new format will, I don't think they'll be making a slight in the norm going forward, but I do think, I do like, hope and pray that it makes the, the tournament like, easier to follow, especially if you're, you fall a day or so behind, like I am prone to doing. So I, we can talk about how great these matches are and who are like, and it seems like, oh, so-and-so seems so obvious to win this plot, but these kind of tournaments sometimes the obvious never actually happens, you know, so we're just going to have to sit here and like wait to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, th- th- I think the shake-up this year, like, there's more people involved the four block setup, it's going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm interested to see what ELP does in his block, you know, going from like getting close to winning the his block of the Super Juniors to then being in the then being the G1, which he said he wanted to do as junior weight champion. He's sadly not the champion, but he's going to be in that block. So anyone he probably gets in that G, in the G1 is going to be considered an upset. I mean, imagine if tw- how Twitter would react if ELP beat Shingo. Dear God, I don't, I don't think the internet's ready for that. I know. Would it be better or worse than how people reacted to Chase Owens pinning Tanahashi clean like last time? Oh God, do they? Do we, we don't. We don't joke about that. That's just horrible. <laughs> I do like the idea of the something we haven't mentioned. The Osprey just Robinson match and Elton will have in D Block. Whether he wins or loses, at one point I just want Osprey to go behind the cover and like give me back my fucking belt. <laughs> Oh god, could you imagine? It's like you. Where's that fucking belt? Oh, I'm not coming up with the belt. You fucking come up with this belt. Where fucking god? I love the fact that you cut that boom Andre one. Like, where the fuck's my belt? Like, just I'll fly over to Orlando. I know where you fucking live. 
<laughs> I will fucking find you. Now I will bar you from my belt. <laughs> I will hunt you down. Like, just imagine opening your door if you're just Robinson, just seeing Oscar there with the entire empire behind him. Like, where's the belt? Cobb, shake him. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't make, don't make O'Can make work his magic on Tony. You'll never get her back. <laughs> <laughs> So you you uh, see what the shagger does. <laughs> oh, and I think that's a, a clear sign that we should wrap things up here on East Meets West, and just say just sum up by saying we're looking forward to the G one as everybody says. I really think even though there are some people who aren't watching New Japan as regularly as they used to, I definitely think the last few months, particularly, have really like been a big turning point for New Japan and. Well, it's great seeing them work a lot more with people like AEW recently, and I really think that you know this is going to have like a big feel this G1 because there were a few matches last year John, where I wasn't kind of feeling it, but you know I think this is a real turning point. Yep, and you know I think now is now is a good time to just surprise the audience with the most exciting news of them all that we are going to do an Okan show this year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ESSR seems to be battering so many ideas for Christmas shows that we we didn't even get one last year. But East Meets West will never let all four of you down. We will we will bring you that Okan Christmas special, whether even if it kills us. I mentioned it to Stephen. I do believe it has already got the green light. <laughs> even if it even if he didn't give us a green light, we we'd probably do it anyway. That's it. Just it would have to happen because you know what Okan has had such a rise. We need to do it. We have to do I'm glad he won some gold this year because uh, it really would help pad it out a little bit because uh, it's only so long you can talk about just how much of a shagger he is. In fact, I actually remember Stephen responded to me when I said, we're going to do a, a, an East Meets West Christmas special. All in can. these went superb. Hope he makes a porno before then. <laughs> I don't know if I'd, I don't know. I think I'd have to watch it for the curiosity, for the research. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's simply for research, yeah. <laughs> No, no, these tissues are here because you know his sheer performance and acting ability brought a tear to my eye. Really, aye, my whispering eye. <laughs> <laughs> the trio can't made. There's a website there. Show, there's a website there claiming it's got a, a porno star in the Great Can. That is terrible. And what website is that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely incredible. You know, at least at least unlike most other wrestlers that have went into porn, at least this one would actually be someone of good moral character. <laughs> well, that's uh, it's not really a high bar, is it? But you know, I I repeatedly say we're going to do sixteen episodes and then end it. Uh, so we can't unfortunately wait until sixteen episodes to do this great kind thing. It has to happen sooner than that. But if any New Japan wrestlers great kind of anybody else want to do. Want to make a wrestling porno that we can review on the 69th episode? Then, you know, I certainly wouldn't condone it or condemn it. Sorry. <laughs> make it happen. <laughs> anyway, good lord, I don't know. Stephen, if Stephen wasn't really knew what was happening when he meets with, he wouldn't let us do this anymore. It's either that, or he'd get jealous and try and get involved. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been leaving him unread for him. It's like, no, you can't come on the show. <laughs> There's only one person I'd like to come on the show, and he he retired for the fiftieth time. <laughs> I know, David Campbell. We know you still listen occasionally. Yeah, call us. Please, please, please come. 
give your direct directorial, you know, review of a great old camp porno. What do you? How do you think the lighting and cinematography was? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't even get to that sentence, like, with any sort of seriousness. Thank you for listening to what may be one of the last episodes of Evening Sweat before me and Grant get cancelled. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please follow the Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast at Suplex Retreat on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please like, give us a like, rating, review on your platform of choice. Uh, that's Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, wherever you choose to get your podcast. Please leave a comment in your review saying, where, how likely do you think it is that Okan will, will star in a porno in the, last, in the next 12 months? Hell, I think he should write and direct it himself. He, he's talented enough. Uh, check back on last previous episodes of Eastern Best. See the journey of how I came around on the Great Ogan. Check out our feature shows. Yes, it's our central Saturday Draft Live every Saturday. All sorts of great content. And our back catalog, Anticum. You can also like our Facebook community page. You can get involved in the conversation occasionally and answer a question uh, that gets posted. And we'll, the answers will be read out on ESSR Central. So, yeah, that was a, an episode of East Meets West. It took some turns I wasn't expecting. <laughs> It was wild. We went from analysing the biggest tournament of the year to talking about porno star in the Great Ocan, which was the style at the time. So, <laughs> so from myself and Graham, I'll say thank you for listening. We'll see you uh, next time to talk, all, every, to talk everything G1.